Section 19 of Sermons to Children by Sabine Baring Gould. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Sermon 19. The Cornfield. Autumn. St. Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. At that time Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were ahungered and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. Can you imagine that quiet Sabbath afternoon walk through the ripening cornfields? The sun is declining in the western sky. There is not a cloud in the blue heavens. The breath of wind stirs the wheat field now, white with harvest. Tomorrow busy reapers will be here with the sickle to begin the great work of the year, the cutting and carrying of the corn. Then the heavy ears and the light ears, the scarlet poppy and the blue bottle and the purple corn cockle will be mown down together. As Jesus and the twelve walk through the cornfields, they are hungry, and they pluck the ripe ears, rub them in their hands, blow away the light husk, and eat the hard brown-yellow grains that remain in their palms. There are many lessons that the cornfields teach. The world, children, is one great cornfield, and you are growing in it. Now the question arises, are you growing there as corn, or as the poppy, the cockle, and the bluebottle? Are you growing there to be of use, or only for show? To be of advantage to your generation, or only to make a display of it? In the early stages, nothing is visible but the fine green shoots of the wheat above the brown soil. Presently come up other leaves, and wheat and weed grow together. The wind of spring ripples over the green field, and wheat and weed blow and glance in the soft light air together. The sun shines down and warms both, the warm rains moisten and nourish both. The lark carols aloft above both. The white spring butterflies dance over both. All grow together, weed and wheat, the useful corn and the useless poppy. No hand is thrust in to sort out weed from wheat. Summer comes on. The sun grows hotter. The corn ears appear and are hung all over with little trembling dust-like particles suspended by hair-like threads. What are these? The flower of the wheat. The flower. The gaudy poppy shakes his scarlet head, blazing like red fire amidst the corn, and despises the little feathery, dusty flower of the wheat. The blue bottle expands its glorious azure flower and says, Look at me. Did you ever see such a lovely flower as this? See how my dark blue head is crowned with nine stars, as though I were a saint. And the cockle. Everywhere about us they are glowing, some like stars to tell us spring is born, others, their blue eyes with tears o'erflowing, stand like Ruth amid the golden corn. The corn cockle, so conspicuous in its beauty, has obtained, and well deserves its name, of crown of the field. Whoever passes by, through the cornfields, sees the purple flower and admires it. But the farmer loves it not, for its seeds contain a noxious element which greatly injures the corn around, and fills his flower with black specks. When ripe, the capsule contains black, glossy, aromatic seeds, and in them is the mischievous sponane. While the wheat has been ripening wholesome grain, the corn cockle has been maturing poisonous seeds. Both plants drank of the same dew, basked in the same sunlight, were fanned by the same breezes. The wheat made little show of flour, but has produced a precious grain. The cockle blazed with beauty and ripens an injurious seed. Look at the showy poppy. 
what gorgeous petals they are, redder than the rose, gayer than the carnation, but there is a dark black stain about the heart of the flower, and when you pick the flower almost at once the petals fail and drop off. If gayer than others, they are more transient, and the beautiful blue-bottle is a flower, the presence of which is not pleasant to the reaper's eye. Its hard, tough stalks resist the sickle and turns its edge, for which reason it used to be given an expressive name. Now, my children, in the field of the world you are growing up. We cannot tell as yet what you will be. Indeed, it depends mostly on yourselves, whether you will be good wheat or worthless weed, whether you will yield good grain or make a great and passing show as the poppy, or prove stubborn, ornamental, but useless as the bluebottle, or be noxious as the cockle. It seems to me that the great defect in these, your ribbons and artificial flowers, is to force yourself into notice and draw eyes on you. These three flowers live for show. Their object seems to be to shine in the world, attract admiration, get praise. They think of their appearance, not of their grain. The wheat makes no show of flower, but ripens a rich and precious ear of corn. The poppy and the bluebottle and the cockle live for their flowers, not for their seed. The flower is beautiful, but the seed is not or noxious. With the wheat it is otherwise. The flower is nothing, and the corn is all in all. I would have you, children, make up your minds early what you are going to be in God's field, wheat or poppies, whether you are going to yield grain or blossom, whether you will be profitable or ornamental. I speak first to you girls. You will be called to live in the world and to be, to some extent, ornaments in it. You will dress more gaily than boys, wear smart gowns and ribbons and feathers, whereas boys will clothe themselves in sober colors. There is, therefore, much more danger in your growing up to be a cockle and poppy and blue flower. You are much more tempted to live for personal appearance, to think of it, to make it the object of your great ambition. You will be liable to feel an ambition to outblazen other girls with women's great temptation. She is naturally inclined to put on gay petals like the flowers. Now I do not say that you should shun pretty and becoming dress and not give it a thought. All I say is, you should not live for it. You should not let dress and appearance be the object of your lives, or your seed will be worthless or noxious, your heart will grow black like that of the poppy, or your neck stiff like the bluebottle, your words and works will scatter poison like the cockle. The grape, like the corn, lives for its fruit, not for its flower. The blossom of the vine is small and insignificant, but what fruit is like the grape? Yet the apple and the pear and the peach and the cherry have flowers very lovely and fruit very sweet, but their flowers are simple and modest and make no great display. I think that all the most showy flowers are without edible fruit. Dress modestly, becomingly, and prettily, against that there is no law, but as you value all that is holy, all that is eternal, do not let dress occupy your thoughts." Men also may live for appearances only. They do not usually trouble themselves much about what they put on. There are not many fops in the world, and everyone knows that these are fools. But a man may live for appearances without thinking much of his personal appearance. He does so when he lives for display, when he lives to show off his wealth, or his influence, or his knowledge, that is, 
when he uses all he has got ostentatiously. There was a duke of Tyrol, who went by the name of Frederick with the empty pockets. He had a little money in the coffer, so he spent it all in gilding the roof of the balcony that overhung the public square at Innsbruck. It is there still, with some of the gold still adhering to the tiles. There are plenty of men who act like Frederick, with the empty pockets. All they have is laid on as exterior gilding. Everything goes in making a great display. If they have money, it is exhibited in the most offensive and vulgar profusion. If they have a little learning, it is lugged in by the ears on all occasions. If they have some position, it is made the most of. They live to be seen of men. They talk to be heard of men. They think how they may posture and prance before men. They think nothing of what good they can do with what is given them, what rich fruit they can produce that will profit the world. Their thoughts are only on today. There is still a worse form of this ostentation, which was rebuked by our Lord, that is pious ostentation. The Pharisees, when they prayed, sought a corner of the marketplace where they might be seen. When they gave alms, had a trumpet blown before them that a crowd might be collected to witness their charity. Our Lord said to them that they had their reward. They prayed and gave alms only to gain applause in this world, and they got it, and there was an end of it. But those who prayed in secret, and gave to the poor in secret, he promised should be rewarded hereafter. They lived for the future, for the harvest, not for the present, for the corn, not for the flower. Their work would profit, the other would not. When the poppy and the cockle were tied in bundles to be burnt, they would be gathered into the heavenly garner as precious wheat. Gathered in bundles to be burned. Yes, that is the terrible end of the weed. Those gallant, flouting poppies, the blue bottles with their crowns of stars like the saints, in this world, but so stiff and stubborn in their necks, those handsome cockle harboring noxious seed, that is their end. The gay petals drop off, their beauty fades away, they are seen then to be weeds, and weeds only, if not poisonous, at least useless. Away with them, separate them from good wheat, they have no place in the garner. The great lesson that I wish to impress on you children today is to live for the future and not for the present, to be concerned what fruit you shall bring forth, not what show you shall make. If you live for show, you live for this world, and the fashion of this world passeth away. The great harvest day will try every man's work what it shall be. There is no spectacle in this world, girls, so sad as that of an elderly lady who has lived for display of her beauty when a girl, left without beauty and nothing to live for, nothing to display in old age. She may dye her hair and paint and choke up her wrinkles and dress and talk youthfully, but the sight is most horrible, it makes one shudder. Scarcely less sad is the sight of a man who has been ostentatious all his career, going out of the world without a thought that his ostentation will be blown away like chaff by the breath of God, and that he will have to stand shivering before his Maker, with his life behind him wasted in display, and no fruit brought to perfection. You are set in this world to grow as corn, to bring forth according to your several capacities. Think what it must be, at the last great day, to have to confess that you have brought forth nothing. When you next go through the cornfield, remember the great lesson it preaches to you. 
Live for practical fruit, not for empty display. Live for tomorrow, not for today. Look to the seed time, not to the flowering. This century in which we live is especially one of idle ostentation, in dress, in display of wealth, in everything. You will therefore be specially subject to the temptation to live as poppies, bluebottle, and cockle, not as wheat. Think of that each harvest time, and let it nerve you to work out your salvation, and shun vanity. End of section 19